It just dawned on me today that we're going to see him at least two ways today, maybe even more. Of course, we always see him in his word. He's revealed to us. And since this is a communion Sunday, we're going to see him again in the presence of his body and blood given and shed for all of us. Well, today we're going to talk about a passionate pursuit, and I suppose the accident, uh, the accident will be on passion. And uh, we'll get to that a little bit deeper later. But uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, that's where we're at right now, is crucial in understanding how to approach spiritual growth. And that's what we're really here for, is to be discipled, to have spiritual growth. And, and Paul starts out by saying, finally, brothers, and I want you to understand something. When Paul uses that word brothers, it's an inclusive Greek word. So he's really talking about brothers and sisters, so don't get too excited about that. Finally, brothers, we're instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge. Now that word urge in the Greek also means to encourage. To encourage one another. Challenge one another, if you will. Um, and urge you in the Lord Jesus Christ to do this more and more. Now Paul is going to bring up this same idea later in this chapter in verse 10. He says, and in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia, yet we urge you, we encourage you, brothers, to do more and more. So be good to people around you. And then in chapter 5, and next week we're going to actually wrap this all up in chapter 5. I had to skip ahead because it says it one more time in chapter 5, verse 11. Therefore, encourage or urge one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. Now, I like that because I don't know if, you, if this has ever happened to you. If we don't have to raise hands or anything. It's not time for confession. But have you ever been in a church where you felt beat up the entire time? <laughs> so he's pounding on the pulpit. You just went away really discouraged instead of being encouraged, built up uh, to made to feel a little bit better. I, I hope uh, if it's happened that it's happened very few times. But what Paul is saying is, uh, these things, all these things I've been talking to you about, you do well. You guys are really good at this. Keep it up. And this is the crucial principle in spiritual growth. And this, the principle is this. You grow by strengthening your strengths. Now, I'm going to back up and explain where I got that phrase, strengthening your strengths from. Back in the day, uh, when I was coaching high school golf, Valley Lutheran High School in St. Charles, Illinois, uh, I thought I could improve my game at the same time. And so one day, I, after I sent the team out on his practice round, I talked to the club pro, and I told him, you know, I'd like to spend some time with you uh, so that you can tell me everything I'm doing wrong. And believe me, there was a lot of stuff, because the ball didn't always go, whoosh, it kind of went, whoosh, whoosh. Uh, But I want you to tell me everything I'm doing wrong. And he said, you know something, coach, that's not how it works. It's not how it works. The objective isn't to tell you everything you're doing wrong. The objective is to get you to do what you're doing right over and over and over again. Repeat the process. Jerry and I are old high school basketball coaches. I think about how I taught free throws. Form, follow through, and confidence. It's the same thing. You're doing what's right over and over and over again. Now, this is what really, I think, one of, the, one of the best kept secrets of the Christian life. The best kept secret in raising your kids or having a good marriage or leading a team to victory or even pastoring a church. Find out what your strengths are. 
deal with your strengths over and over, identify what's right, and intensify your efforts. Now, maybe you grew up with a different model, and some of us did, uh, where other people kind of harangued you and berated you and, and chewed you out and criticized you, and maybe as a result you kind of beat yourself up, uh, where the focus was just not doing the bad stuff. you got to cut that out, cut that out, cut that out. And believe it or not, this isn't how you succeed in the Christian life, to be told all the time, you guys are evil, wicked, bad, and nasty people. Cut it out. Uh, sadly, I've heard sermons like that. Now, clearly, uh, to become a godly person is to get the bad stuff out of your life. I mean, I'm not saying hang on to your but We need to get that stuff out of there. But the right way is not to direct all of your attention on all of the bad stuff you're doing. It is to direct your attention in doing and improving and strengthening and growing what you're doing right. Now, sadly, um, a lot of people approach relationships that way. Uh, all They see everything that's missing and everything that's wrong in their relationship. And, and now their needs aren't being met. Well, no relationship can grow under that kind of a negative model. On the other hand, if you want to grow strong in your faith as a Christ follower, you approach spiritual life. And this is what we're going to talk about this morning, the biblical way, which is to identify your strong points and strengthen those strong points. Uh, zero in what you're doing right and do a better job of it. And guess what? Sometimes it just causes the negative stuff just to kind of move right out of your life. Now, does this mean you ignore weaknesses? No, not at all. It just means that the more you expand on the right things, the smaller your weaknesses become. Now, in 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul mentions three areas in which we need to strengthen our strengths. And these are three areas where you might be weak and maybe where you feel a little bit inadequate. Uh, but remember the little story about the golf swing or the free throw shooting. You identify what you're doing right and intensify your effort. So we're going to talk about three different areas. The first one's going to probably be a little bit shocking. Pursue sexual purity. Don't hear very many sermons about that, do you? Not a whole lot. But in verses 3, 4, and 5, listen to what Paul has to say here. He said, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. Now, we're going to stop there. Anybody know what sanctified means? It means to be cleansed. It means to be cleaned process of being cleaned up, that you should avoid sexual immorality. Now, the Greek word is interesting here for sexual immorality. The word is pornoia. Does that sound a little bit like pornography? Yeah, it's pornography. You should avoid pornographic activities. That's kind of what Paul is saying here, that each of you should learn to control his or her body in a way that is holy, and holy means to be set apart, to be different and honorable, where you are elevated in the eyes of people, not in, and the next little phrase is also really interesting, not in passionate, passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. Now, I'm tempted to go to Romans chapter 1. Oh, why not? <laughs> Romans chapter 1, verses 26 and 27 Essentially, what, what Paul there is saying is there are people who have given themselves over to passionate lusts. Women have exchanged uh, one thing for one thing and men have exchanged. So what he's talking about is what? He's talking about homosexuality. 
So in one passage here, we're talking about everything from pornography to homosexuality and God knows what else is going on in our world today. Whatever, whatever we can come up with, it's in that little bag. Now, in the original Greek here, the phrase control his body can be translated by saying you should learn to live with your own wife or your own husband in a way that is holy and honorable. Now, both, in, uh, both of those interpretations are going to point to the same thing. We are called to be sexually pure people. I listened to a podcast this last week and said we should remember when we look at other people that you're looking at a temple and not an amusement park. That's an odd way of thinking about it. A temple, the temple of God, and not an amusement park. Now, remember, Paul did not write this letter to Gomer Pyle, who thought he had to marry Thelma Lou because she kissed him on the jaw one time uh, on uh, the Mayberry show. Paul wrote this to a society uh, for whom sexual purity and marital fidelity were foreign concepts. In those days, in Paul's days, it was assumed that a man could and should have many par- as many partners as he desired. Now, maybe you've heard the name Demosthenes. Demosthenes, the, the first time I ever heard about him, he was an orator, but he had a speech impediment. So what he did, he stuck a whole bunch of marbles in his mouth, gravel, and then would stand and shout at the roaring waves to increase his speech. So that's a good thing about Demosthenes. He probably should have learned how to keep his mouth shut, because this is what Demosthenes said in his day. We keep prostitutes for pleasure, mistresses for the day-to-day needs of the body, and wives for the beginning of children and for the faithful guardianship of our homes. He might just as well have never bothered to say that, but that was the prevailing attitude in the culture of that day. Women served one of three purposes all involve sex. But then Paul comes along and says, no, take responsibility for yourself, for your body, treat your wife or your husband or whatever with holiness and honor in the matter. In this matter, no one should wrong a brother and take advantage of him. Now, understand when Paul uses that word brother again, uh, he's using it in this kind of generic sense, referring to brothers and sisters. You want to do harm to brothers and sisters. No one should wrong a brother or sister or take advantage of him or her. Now, you may be sitting there today and say, well, that's all fine for you to say that, but that's not my problem. Um, well, I'm not here to read your mind, and I'm not here uh, having open confession after the service after a while, but if that's what's desirable. Uh, but it, it may be an area in which you feel a little bit weak. I don't know. So just ask, you know, what am I doing right in this, in my relationships with other people? In these moments, not worry about what I've done wrong, but what, am I, what can I do right? In these moments in which I have victory, what do I do right now and what can I get better at in my life? Now, in this sex-saturated society we kind of live in today, it's kind of challenging. Uh, but then again, it's always been difficult in every generation and every culture. It's just that back in my grandpa's day, they didn't have Facebook and TikTok and all that other stuff. I'm not sure what they had back in my grandpa's day, but I'm sure that the problem was back back there then, too. Um, it's, it's difficult, but it's not impossible. You can have the victory. And the victory, how do you do that? Let's go back to that one little phrase again. Strengthen your strengths. Identify what you're doing right in these relationships and keep on doing it. 
let's move away from sex now for a moment. Let's move to another, another little potential problem here. Pursue a loving heart. Look what he says in verses 9 and 10. <laughs> he said, I'm done with this subject now. About brotherly love. And understand that in the Greek language, there are about three different, three, maybe four different words for love. And the word that's used here is agape. This is brotherly love. You know, in, in, the, in, in, in the way that I can say, Lou, I love you. It's love between two brothers in the faith. Now, it would be a little bit different if I used some other words. Um, but he says, now about brotherly love, agape, we don't need to write this <laughs> write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia, yet we urge you brothers to do so more and more. It's one thing to love Anthony. But he's saying, learn to love him even more. It's one thing to say to your wife, I love you, but to love you even more. That's all he's saying. He said, you're doing okay. But intensify your efforts, strengthen your strength, look at everything you're doing right, but don't leave it at that. Instead, look at everything you're doing right and ask, how can I show, for example, how can I show my children uh, more effectively how much I love them? You know, we have two kids. We have one grandchild. Ed, you can work this one out after church, how you're going to deal with your son on this one. Some of you have your kids, how you're going to deal with them. Yeah, I think we've been pretty loving to our children over the years. But, you know, how can we be even more effective in showing them love? How can I demonstrate my love in a greater way for my spouse? Or Bo from Bolivia here today, his engaged partner. Uh, I just did a wedding this last week. Wonderful little Ember from Hollister Coffee Company, the barista, did her wedding. Too. And how can she increase her love that she has for her new husband every day. How can I increase my love for my co-workers? How can I increase my love for those I, I sit at Restore with on Sunday after Sunday? Now, Jesus said, when you do this, this is John 13, by this, by what? By loving people the correct way, all people will know that you are my disciples if you do what? If you agape one another, genuinely love each other. Okay, we've moved from sex to love. <laughs> Let's move to the next thing he's talking about in this chapter. This is a good one, too. Pursue a quiet life. Now, this doesn't mean stay at home and mind your own business. Well, it does, in a way. Uh, because in verses 11 and 12, he says, Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Now, it's not like, you know, those of you who know Nancy was gone for three weeks. It was really quiet in my house for three weeks. And you don't want to say, that's not what you're looking for. Uh, this has got something else to do with this. It says, and it goes on, he says, and what? To mind your own business. In other words, keep your nose out of everybody else's business. And to work with your hands, just as we told you, so that what? Your daily life will, may win respect of outsiders and so that you'll not be dependent on anybody. Now, I hope you got that. It says, lead a quiet life. Now, part of me says, I thought I'm supposed to be out there witnessing to people. <laughs> I thought I'm supposed to be out there telling other people about Jesus all the time. I'm supposed to be out there shouting from the rooftops all about Jesus and hammering them with the Bible passages and everything and raising a ruckus and pointing out what's wrong in this world and on and on and on and on. Uh, but Paul says, 
just do your own job. Whatever your job is. Mind your own business. Take care of your own responsibilities. As my grandma used to say, sweep in front of your own doorstep first. Take care of your own life. Uh, don't be out there uh, ragging on everybody. And he said, this is daily life. If you, It's easy to impress people once. You only see them once in a blue moon, but people you see each and every day, how you react to these people. But when they see your daily life, how do you do your job? You see people that rub you the wrong way. I mean, there are some people in this world that are my best construction. They're heavenly sandpaper. They just rub you the wrong way. <laughs> now, what do you do, people like that? Well, again, you love them. You love them. And you mind your own business. You stay out of their business. There's another phrase here you can't afford to ignore, this mind your own business. I, there's something about our culture that I don't understand. And believe me, I don't understand a lot about our culture. I mean, I didn't understand the whole sexual revolution part of our culture. I don't, I don't understand the second one either very much, and this one either. But there's something about us, I, this, this tremendous desire to know the intimate details of the personal lives of famous people. I just don't get that. Why would anybody, I'm speaking for myself right now, why would anyone want to know who this particular actor or actress is romancing or how much this actor or actor was drinking last night? And the same thing goes for athletes. Now, I love sports. But if something isn't directly related to the player's performance on the field, why should we care? But we like to know that stuff. We like to peel it back so we go, oh, we see where all of his flaws or her flaws are. Now, friends, nobody is asking you to condone anything here. But Paul makes it pretty clear. If you're not directly involved, mind your own business. That's pretty straightforward. You, you can't kind of monkey around with that little passage. Uh, the problem is that we carry this curiosity about other people's lives sometimes into the workplace. And let's be honest, we can sometimes take this curiosity about other people's lives right into the places where we worship on a Sunday morning. See, we begin to somehow think it's okay to talk about it and analyze it, the faults of other people. Now, there's a word for that habit. Anybody know what the word for that habit is? Gossip. There's a better word for it. Sin. <laughs> Gossip sounds... I got a little gossip. I want no. Oh, you want to share sin with me? Try that one next time. Somebody says, I got a little piece of gossip. Oh, a little bit of sin? No, it's always a big sin. Keep it to yourself. That's how to win friends and influence people. You, should, you have to love those people, too. Now, evidently, Paul heard that some people in the church at Thessalonica thought that they had the right to pry into other people's private lives and Paul's response is about as direct as a, I mean, this, this is a direct thing right from the from the pastor here when he's talking about mind your own business. That's pretty straightforward. Mind your own business. Take care of your own responsibilities. See, this kind the kind of person God uses doesn't have the habit of intruding or meddling. Uh, they take care of their own plate, their own front door, their own whatever. And as a result, he says their lives are blessed. Or I'm going to go back to a phrase. I don't know how many times I have used this phrase in the last two or three years. We are not called to be 
condemners. We are called to be gospelers. And we can't be great gospelers if we're always spending time condemning and poking at everybody else. There's three building blocks. How many of those are easy? Uh, none. <laughs> none of them are easy. One is sexual purity. You take control of your body, and whether you're married or not, you treat yourself and other people with dignity and honor. You learn to love other people. And let's, let's be honest, not everybody's lovable. There are going to be people who are going to plop themselves down next to you at your same table at Hollister Coffee Company on a, on a Friday morning that look like they've been up all night in, in and out of various bottles. You know, there's always a temptation to get up and move. Or like, what's the matter with you, you drunken bum? Why aren't you here? This um, is greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Uh, we, we're called to lay down our lives for our Christian brothers and sisters through sacrifice, through service. I mean, like, as we're going to be doing down at White River, um, to love them as Christ loved us. And we're really called to do that as best as we can to people that we don't know and people that are really different than we are. Uh, someone told me 25 years ago on my first trip down to Angola prison, uh, these, are, these are different people than you have in your church on a Sunday morning. Well, yes and no. <laughs> my people aren't locked up. <laughs> but my people are also full of sin, just like these guys. And there's a great number of people in, in my church who have sinned and have not sought forgiveness. And I got a prison full of guys who know that they've sinned and they've sought forgiveness. And so I can, I can treat them and love them and encourage them all in the same way. Well, the third thing is to live a quiet life, to do your own job, take care of your own responsibility, mind your own business. Now, the question is, how do you do these things? Well, like the old golf swing, strengthen your strengths. Look for things you're doing right and do it more and more. Paul goes way back in verse 1, we instructed you how to live. Uh, in order to please God, as in fact you were living, now we ask you and urge you in the Lord to do this more and more. Now I'm going to shift gears here because I don't want you to think what I'm telling you is the only answer here today. I am not telling you in no way, in no way am I telling you that you can do this on your own. You can't. You don't have the strength to do it on your own. The second thing I want you to clearly understand this morning is, in no way am I telling you that you can do this to earn God's favor. Because you don't. You don't earn God's favor it doesn't work that way. Now, I was going back through the messages we got through so far, and I thought to myself, while this message and others may be kind of front-loaded with what we would call living out the sanctified life, none of it is possible without being firmly attached to Jesus. If we don't attach it to Jesus, we're just, we're just being nice citizens, I guess is what we call it. And nothing we can do that, that nothing we can do that can make a relationship with Jesus happen or get better. I'm going to end up with one more Bible verse here. It's Ephesians two eight, nine, and ten. 
It's the foundation stone of our relationship with God through Jesus and the reason for actually doing what it is that we do. Let me walk you through this passage. For it is by grace. I'm going to stop there. Some of you probably know this. This is a little acronym, G-R-A-C-E, God's Riches at Christ's Expense. That's kind of what that is. It says, by grace, and we probably need to probably stop and pull the wagon over a little bit and talk about grace and mercy. These are two interesting words. Mercy. What does it mean, God's mercy? Well, mercy keeps sinful people getting what they deserve. When God shows his mercy to us, he doesn't do to us what we deserve as evil, wicked, bad, and nasty sinners. But instead, he saves us by his grace. That's sinful people getting what they do not deserve. That's this morning when we, we, we said we confess this brokenness. I mean, God didn't say, yeah, you bunch of wicked people. You're condemned to hell. He says, no, because he sends out the words of restoration. By my son, I'm welcoming you back in. I'm doing something for you that you cannot do for yourself. You can't earn it in any way. So this passage says, for it is by grace, by God's riches at Christ's expense, that you have been saved. And that's a permanent term, by the way. Through faith, pistis, this belief in, and this is not from yourselves. Well, if it doesn't come from yourself, where does it come from? It's the gift of God, or we might actually translate it. It's the working of the Holy Spirit in your heart. I mean, that's how you came to know this Jesus. Not by works. Now, it doesn't say that you're not going to do any works, but the works aren't going to be the thing. Don't front front load those things and expect Jesus to follow through on his plan. He says, not by works. Why? Otherwise, you'd boast. What little, you know, was it little Jack Horner sat in the corner eating his, stuck in his sun, pull up plum and said, oh, what a good boy am I? No, you're not. You're a messy boy. <laughs> you're still messy. Uh, you, you, you can't boast. For we are God's handiwork. We all look different. God put us all together for a reason, for a purpose. This is just the way we are. And we are his handiwork. We are created in Christ Jesus. We are here the way we are because this is what he designed us to be. To do what? To do good works. Believe it or not, which God prepared in advance for us to do. In other words, it's all about his love and our response to that love. I think we should pray about that.